This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stefan Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And today we are thrilled once again to be joined by the delightful, the winsome, the dessert expert, Bridget <laughs> Todd. <laughs> Thank yes. you for having me. We were talking off mic about our favorite and least favorite desserts. Yeah. Some of us feel very strongly about meringue. Oh some my goodness. Us, some of us feel very, very, very strongly about their dislike of meringue. Not Who pointing to myself mean? or anything. <laughs> I love it. I love these strong food <laughs> opinions. Um, I, I still maintain we should have like a mini podcast where we just talk about desserts. I think it'd the be three great. of us. Can we bring desserts and then like Ooh. somehow try to share each other's favorite desserts with each other? That would be the way to go. Somehow we like post it something. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I would I think we can make there. that happen. I think we can make that happen. The funniest thing is uh, I'm not a huge dessert person. So I'd be the one it's to true. say. Uh, you <laughs> co-host a food podcast. How are you not into desserts? I, I, they're fine. They're just like not the thing that I go for a lot. I okay. go for the savory thing and not right. the dessert thing. Also, oh, you'll... You'll try almost anything, even if you're allergic to it. So therefore, I think she may be like the expert because she's willing to do all the things just to try and she'll yeah. never let anything go to waste. So I feel like she's the mint. better. Oh, she, mint. Yeah, even with mint. <laughs> oh, I don't like, do you not like mint? I hate, I don't like mint in desserts. <laughs> I'm learning a lot about your taste, Bridget. No, I love <laughs> mint. I'm just allergic to it. Oh. Allergic to strong. I'm intolerant to it. Yeah. Um, what do you do for toothpaste? Mm. I suffer. Oh, yeah. no, every day. <laughs> yeah. It's miserable. <laughs> there are two... Th I could solve this problem. This is an ongoing issue with me. I could solve this, and I continue to not do it. Because she refuses to buy something new. I'm going to send you some cinnamon-flavored toothpaste. That's what I use, because I don't like mint. I love cinnamon. <laughs> See? This would be easy, an easy fix. <laughs> such, an, such an easy fix. It's a solvable problem. Yes. <laughs> well, you are back in Washington, D.C., Bridget, and happy belated birthday. Oh, yes, happy you. belated birthday. My birthday yes. is Pi Day, which I feel like as a geeky, nerdy person, of course it is, 314. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> did you have any pie? Did you do anything fun? I didn't really do anything fun. We I had just got back from my trip to Mexico City. And so I was in that weird time where you're like, I've just been out of the country for a long time. Is this like, this is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful <laughs> wife. Like I was like really taking, having a weird re-entry back to my regular life. So my birthday was spent just like on the couch watching television, which actually was good. was fine. Oh. Yeah. Those that could be good lovely. times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A little lower key. <laughs> yes. Well, Samantha and I are very, very grateful you're here to talk about this today because we were talking off mic before you came on. We don't really know what's going on here. And uh, it's confusing, but it's in the news. It's everywhere. Everyone's talking about it. So. It's true. So I'll, <laughs> I'll do my best. So I should okay. say right up front, I, there are parts of this conversation that I am not the expert on, but I will do my best to break it down. And that is the congressional hearings and conversations around banning TikTok, which I'm sure folks have been hearing about. Even if you're not a TikTok user, you've probably cursory seen like Congress people asking goofy questions to TikTok CEO. So yeah, I wanted to break it down to the best of my ability. Oh, thank goodness. Yes, because it is a lot. It is a lot. It is confusing. And I was trying to think about this. It, it, It feels to me very new in that... It's not that we haven't had conversations like this before, but to have a serious, like, congressional thing about, like, let's just get rid of this thing. Right. um, In this country feels unique to me. Um, I don't know if that's entirely true, but that's how it feels to me. Yeah, I'm struggling to think of another social media app that we have had conversations that rise to, like, the president, you know, and Congress about just an outright ban. I I don't know that... I'm really struggling. If there is something, if someone is like driving right now and they're like screaming an example at the top of their lungs, please let me know. But I can't think of a time where that has happened. And I feel like this is different because it's happened so quickly. I feel like TikTok really rose in popularity in the last few years. And I think going from it not really being a thing to it being a thing that people were like, oh, it's just an app for kids, blah, 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 to it being ubiquitous to now the conversation being about it being banned all happening within the span of a few years, that feels different to me as well. Right. I guess I have a lot of questions just because of the... So we know that Zuckerberg had to go and testify in front of the courts and Congress as well because of disinformation and misinformation of being allowed to be posted onto Facebook. Mm -hmm. But there was no real conversation about it going away or him doing anything wrong other than, do you take responsibility? How are you going to change this? Which ended up being nothing. They're like, yeah, it's fine. It's not, it's First Amendment, whatever. And then having, uh, when Trump was president, him coming in and threatening and banning TikTok, saying that TikTok was a spy for China, which was Mm -hmm. all about the xenophobia, which happens with uh, COVID and everything else that's happened in the last five, seven years. So like this, this has been a bigger jump. And I guess what's, what's really Interesting, and what I don't quite understand, I don't understand at all, is who's in the right and who's in the wrong? That's a great question. (laughs) That is not a question that I can answer definitively. I'll try to break it down, and then I'll give some of my, like, lingering thoughts towards the end. But, yeah, I should say that this is a conversation that many people that I trust and respect have different takes on. Um, I did an interview um, with on my podcast, There Are No Girls on the Internet, with this TikTok disinformation researcher, Abby Richards, who I'll refer to later in the episode um, today. But she is a 
fervent TikTok user. Her academic and professional work is happens on TikTok, where she is, was one of the first people to call TikTok out for the way that it can spread hate speech, conspiracy theories, mis- and disinformation. But she believes that a TikTok ban would harm marginalized people the most. And so there are people like that who were like, absolutely no, do not ban it. And then there are other people who I also respect and trust in the space who were like, oh, well, banning TikTok might actually be a good thing because, you know, TikTok is the most relevant social media platform out there right now. Uh, Twitter is really in this like weird nebulous space. If Twitter is in this weird space and TikTok goes down, we might actually have a chance to sort of restructure our social media ecosystem without the current giant that is TikTok. I don't know if I agree with that, but I guess what I'm saying, all all of this is to say that I don't have the definitive answer. (laughs) But I first started researching this topic. I was like, I don't really know where I stand. Having done that research, I think I am coming down in favor of the idea that banning TikTok is not the best solution. But again, that's I am that is just my that is just one person's take. Uh I I've seen many other interesting takes that I'm like, oh that makes sense to me. I respect that. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm rambling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I feel like that's the whole thing of TikTok is kind of going trying to reason out what mm-hmm. is the most plausible decision and what's the most responsible because there is no good or bad in this. There, It's all kind of like, oh, this could be bad. This also could be bad, but also this could be good. So it seems like that's that kind of conversation in itself. Again, I'm a TikTok fan that I, I do love what I get to see. Uh, but again, yeah. Ugh. How does it even start? Yeah, well, so let's let's get into it. So last week, folks might have seen that there were congressional hearings where members of Congress grilled TikTok CEO Sho Zichu. Uh, so the big thing to know here is that TikTok's parent company is called ByteDance, and they are a Chinese company. And the people who want it banned are essentially worried that its meteoric rise represents a national security threat because it is owned by their parent company. ByteDance is based in China, a country with whom the United States has had, like, a chilly diplomatic relationship. And so this comes at a time when more and more state governments and institutions are cracking down on TikTok on state-issued devices. Um, like if you, there are a lot, there's like a growing number of universities and state agencies that are, if, you, if they give you a device or if you have a state-run device, you are not allowed to have TikTok on that device. Um, and lawmakers are proposing bans of TikTok. Two weeks ago, the Biden administration demanded that TikTok be sold or that it would face a ban in the United States. And This is not just like hot air or posturing. Congress has also rolled out a bipartisan bill allowing a nationwide TikTok ban called the Restrict Act, which would allow the Secretary of Commerce to ban apps that pose a risk to the U.S.'s national security. A sale of TikTok would require the Chinese government to go along with it and agree. And perhaps unsurprisingly, they're saying like, no, we we will not authorize or approve a sale of TikTok. In response, TikTok has committed to spend $1.5 billion on a plan that they're calling Project Texas, which would essentially enact a stronger firewall between TikTok and employees of its Chinese-based parent company, ByteDance. It would all be set up through a U.S. tech firm called Oracle as kind of this like watchdog organization that's meant to scrutinize TikTok's source code and act as kind of a third-party, unbiased, United States-based monitor to monitor for, like, potential security risks. And so that's kind of the 
zoomed out conversation about what exactly is going on and the context behind how we got to these hearings. Yes. Um, <laughs> and you know, it is, like I've used the word confusing a lot, it is confusing, but it, it's been one of those things where we've heard a lot of lawmakers ask these questions that make clear they don't really understand any of this? <laughs> I did see uh, the one meme of the, the congressman being like, what's the internet? So if I'm on Wi-Fi and people making a meme, there's been so many memes out of oh all the God. questions of the Congress people asking the most ridiculous questions with Cho's face going, what? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it, it reminds me of when I go visit my parents. And, and you know how when you visit, I mean, if your parents are like my parents, you have a nice meal, whatever, whatever. And then the tech support part of the evening <laughs> yes. starts where it's like, what, like, can you do this? Can you uh, delete that? Like, what's our Wi-Fi password? You know, like... There's 15 remote controls. Yeah. It's like, why do you have so many remote oh my God. controls? Uh, here's a PSA for anyone listening. Do your parents a favor. Change their Wi-Fi password to something, like, easier for them to remember. Real simple. So that it's not just a, col- a random collection of numbers and letters that they have to read out to you while they're there. <laughs> you know, it's help hilarious. them out. It, 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 help mean, them out. That, that's exactly, to me, the few bits of the clips that I saw was literally feeling like watching my parents asking, what is this tickety-tock? <laughs> totally. You're so right. So there were some good questions that came up. Like, I, one lawmaker asked about whether or not marginalized creators are suppressed on TikTok by the algorithm. Another one asked if the app was suppressing accurate content about abortion. So there were some, like, good questions where I'm like, oh, that's a good question. But there were so many more lawmakers asking questions that reveal that they have no idea what they're talking about. Probably the one that got the most play was Rep. Richard Hudson of North Carolina uh, asking about, like, whether or not TikTok... I think he, I think he was trying... I think the substance of the question was, if you're using Wi-Fi on your phone and are using TikTok, can TikTok access other devices that are on that same network via your Wi-Fi connection. I think that was the spirit of the question, (laughs) but the way that he was asking it was like, does TikTok access the home Wi-Fi of a user? Like, it made it it seem as though he was not clear, like, the relationship between Wi-Fi and TikTok. You know what I mean? Like, it it wasn't a question that boded a lot of confidence, is what I'm saying. And, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that you really get a sense of the fact that so many elected officials are meant to be legislating technology that they just perhaps don't even really understand. And I think we're seeing that with so many different types of tech, like conversations around AI, I think is another one where it's Mm -hmm. like, stuff is moving quickly and rapidly, and we really need elected officials and people with power and institutions to be advocating for the best interests of the public, if you aren't able to do that, it's actually, like, that is actually a pretty big national security risk in my book. Right, right. Yeah. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. And I get that we have this conversation about national security threats and uh, invasion of privacy as we are constantly having to update our privacy notices from everything electronic, whatever it may be. My phone just recently did it. Uh, our Audacity, which we use to record on, they like terms and conditions are changing. And we have already had this conversation about the fact that our phones are listening to us because you can say a store and the next thing you know, it pops up as an ad for you. And we know that in China at this point, I believe Facebook has been banned mm-hmm. and they use their own technology because kind of on that same line of what's happening with that concern of TikTok. But I have to ask, how is this so different from any other apps that we would use for social media? That's a great question. And I would have to say it's not really that different, other than the fact that TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, is a Chinese company. Right. There's not many differences. Like, most, if not all, of the harms that TikTok is responsible for that came up in that hearing are true about every other major social media platform as well. And so... That was something that I didn't love about what came up in that hearing is that, like, if we're going to be making TikTok the poster child for harms that all social media platforms are responsible for, we should have a clear reason why we're doing that. There should be some kind of smoking gun, some kind of evidence, some kind of something that's like, well, here's why. And so the big question of, of the hearings is whether or not TikTok is actually a national security risk. This is a little bit above my pay grade. I am not a digital national security expert, so you know, just take that for what it's worth. (laughs) So during the hearing, TikTok CEO was grilled about his relationship with the Chinese Communist Party and whether Project Texas was going to be enough of a solution. I am concerned that what you're proposing with Project Texas just doesn't have the technical capacity of providing us the assurance that we need. This is from uh, California Republican Jay Obernolte, a congressman and software engineer. I should also say that, like, TikTok does not have the like, squeakiest, cleanest record when it comes to privacy and how they handle your data, of course, um, like most social media platforms do not. Um, And this definitely came up in the hearing. Neil Dunn, a Republican from Florida, asked 
pretty bluntly, whether or not ByteDance has, quote, spied on American citizens. And we actually know that the answer to this is probably yes. Um, There are reports last December that TikTok accessed journalists' information in an attempt to identify which employees had been leaking information to those journalists. And TikTok actually admitted to this, uh, according to an internal email. Uh, When asked about this directly, TikTok CEO responded that spying is not the right way to describe it, which... I don't know. I mean, it does kind of sound like spying to me. Like, if there's some sort of nuance in, like, you know, maybe maybe from his perspective, if you if the thing that you're trying to sniff out is which of your employees is leaking information to a journalist, maybe that's the distinction that he's making. But, you know, it doesn't sound great. And so when I say that, like, I don't want to make it seem like I am suggesting that TikTok is a perfect platform where Things like this never happen because that's not the case at all. We know that, like, this is an example of, you know, perhaps TikTok doing some things that weren't great. But this is, I hate to say it, pretty in step with how social media platforms behave writ large. Like, I I wish that wasn't the case, but that is the case. I mean, that's kind of, we've seen a live play with Twitter as it's breaking down of which they are going after people or people that they don't like or disagree with and not necessarily doxing them, but definitely cutting them out and making sure that they know <laughs> they being the people who ever did this are that they are being watched, quote, or any of those things are being seen by Twitter themselves, the uh, the company. So it's not like this is anything new. Once again, I'm, it's very concerning, but that's kind of that acknowledgement of us having a phone that is connected to Wi-Fi, that is connected to any type of internet or any of uh, the data. They're getting our information. That that's. It, I would assume that we all understood this. Totally. So that is really my my biggest point that I always come back to in this conversation. We don't have any kind of meaningful data privacy legislation in this country whatsoever. All of our information is for sale by whoever wants it. And I mean that literally. Um, I've done a whole episode about doxing and how people do get doxed uh, on their No Girls on the Internet. And essentially, if you've ever done anything like voted or turned on the electricity in your apartment or uh, paid a parking ticket, your information is for sale on the Internet. Oftentimes, it is put there by our state agencies. Uh, That information is just available widely for whoever wants to spend a small amount of money to buy it. I I wish that wasn't the case, but that is the reality. And so the fact that we are talking about banning TikTok, when if, if the whole national security threat is China having access to American data, all of that data is for sale. So like if you banned TikTok, that would still be the case. China would still have access to American data. It wouldn't be from the TikTok app, but they there's it's just a widely available. And so I feel like banning TikTok is this flashy scapegoat of like, see, we did something, when in reality, you've done nothing. The analogy I use, it's like putting bars on your window when you don't have a front door, right? It's like, <laughs> we desperately, desperately do need meaningful legislation that protects user data and user privacy. But banning TikTok will not get us there. We will still, all of our information will still be widely available to whoever wants it. That's the problem. Right. I mean, let's be honest, too. I think Cho was not wrong when he said that the hearing felt like it was a xenophobic attack. Oh, my um, God. On a whole group of people rather than just a social media platform. Absolutely. So um, there is a great piece on this by CNN's Brian Fung, who I actually know IRL. Shout out to Brian Fung, um, <laughs> where he talked about how some of the some of the rhetoric coming out of those hearings 
just felt very xenophobic. And so um, TikTok CEO Chu, he is Singaporean, right? And so accusing him of working with the Chinese government and trying to associate him with the Chinese Communist Party is like, just doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like helpful rhetoric. And to me, it did feel rooted in xenophobia. It felt rooted in this idea of making these connection to China feel other and thus like nefarious or suspect or something. And so if if there was some kind of like smoking gun, right, that the Chinese government is using TikTok to spy on Americans in mass, and there was some sort of evidence or a smoking gun to, to illustrate that, I would have that, we would have that conversation. But right now, it is just so based in like hypotheticals, like, well, they could, you know, that is a potential risk. And it just feels like adding this assumption of nefarious behavior Mm -hmm. simply because we're talking about a Chinese company. Does that make sense? Yeah, no. Like, this is kind of the big question. And in this rise of um, Asian hate, in this level of discrimination when it comes to anything that's coming out of China, it feels like they're playing into, well, we're already kind of scared and we have a base of people who are going to blame the Chinese for everything and anything. So let's go ahead and start this. When, in actuality, this type of privacy and data collecting has been happening, I'm trying to think back. Didn't the Congress actually bypass a privacy data law in order to get more money out of, like, companies a while yeah, ago? we are—they <laughs> straight up don't care. Like, that's the thing. It's like, this is just me kind of, like, tinfoil hatting a little bit. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. But, like, I think that when there is a foreign boogeyman, mm-hmm. you see elected officials acting differently— But when given the chance to legislate and govern and act on these very same issues, when there isn't some foreign boogeyman to blame, they do nothing. They have had the opportunity to act and they have done nothing. So for me, it's like, is this really about security and and harm and risk? Because you have done jack up until now. So So if it truly is about protecting the public from harm, you need to then explain to me why at every opportunity that you've had to act, you've done nothing. Like, that exactly. needs to be explained to me because I don't get it. Or actively voted against it, which we saw, again, like, I remember this coming about and people talking about we need more laws, and so lawmakers did, and then it just went nowhere. And you're like, wait, so do you actually care about our privacy or not? Nah? Um, I mean, if you were to... Again, so much of this sounds like I'm... I'm It sounds like a conspiracy theory, but I know that part of this conversation is the immense money and energy Mm -hmm. that Facebook has put into lobbying elected officials into seeing TikTok as harmful to take the heat off of them. And in some cases, you know, I would wonder if elected officials have some sort of financial connection to, to Meta, right? Like, During that hearing, I heard specific talking points that I know came from Facebook's massive lobbying company uh, called Targeted Victory, where they assign blame for, you know, these challenges that they say start on TikTok that where where kids end up doing them and then and then dying or or getting harming themselves. But those some of those challenges actually originated on Facebook. And so Facebook actually had a huge PR campaign to make the public and elected officials associate TikTok with harmful challenges, you know, misinformation, all kinds of bad stuff that they themselves are are also pushing. Right. And I, I want to come back to that point in a second. But uh, to go back to sort of the challenge 
the challenge aspects of social media and young people. I think one of the other big pieces of this conversation that also relates to those sort of funny and distressing sound bites is that older people don't use TikTok, um, whereas they might use Facebook or they might use something else. And therefore, are very dismissive of it as like, oh, this is young folk hooligans using this one. <laughs> totally. So I still hear people talk about TikTok as a kids dancing app. And I always bristle at that because that is just not true. Like TikTok is a discourse app. Like it is not just for kids dancing, but it is absolutely true that it has a huge young fan base. According to The Guardian, a majority of teens in the U.S. say that they use TikTok, with 67% of people aged 13 to 17 saying that they use the app almost constantly, according to Pew. Um, and so it definitely is an app where young people are, are congregating, but that doesn't mean that it's not an app where serious discourse is taking place, because it absolutely is. And so I think that you're exactly right, that that is something that takes center stage in conversations around things like content moderation is the fact that it does have a very a very young user base. And so during the hearings, we saw lawmakers pointing out that like children can have access to content around guns. Like there was an image of a gun that lawmakers pointed to on TikTok that they found very distressing, which is almost humorous to me that it's like, oh, this image of a gun on social media on TikTok, bad. Guns in real life, like in schools, hurting actual kids, nah. Like... Mm -hmm. All good. So that was kind of interesting. Uh, and so something that Chu said was that harmful content making its way to minors on social media apps is an industry-wide challenge, which is true, right? So I think every major social media platform is struggling to make sure that young users are not having access to content that's going to be harmful for them. But the thing that I am, like, really passionate about is how apps like TikTok promote things like disordered eating or self-harm content and medical misinformation. So right now, TikTok is facing like lawsuits over uh, young people who have gotten hurt or died because of content that they came into contact with allegedly on TikTok. And so, you know, I, I would say this, like this is part, like this, I do this for a living. I, it's like I, I meet with social media platforms and the leadership at these platforms to advocate for them, you know, making platforms safer. And I will say that like, harmful, downright dangerous content working its way into platforms is a, a problem for all social media platforms. I wouldn't necessarily say that TikTok is performing worse than any other social media platform out there. It might be even performing like above average when you compare it to things like Twitter or Facebook, but this is a very real issue and all social media platforms across the board need to be doing better. And so the fact that that came up in the hearing, I was like, oh, well, that is actually something that we need to be talking about. But we don't necessarily need to be talking about it in a way that just poses that TikTok is the only bad actor in the space or is the only platform in the space where this harm is happening. Because the reality is it's happening on Facebook, it's happening on Twitter, it's happening on Reddit, it's happening across social media. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things that feels so strange that we've just accepted it, but it's it's difficult to fight it, I guess. But you kind of know, you're like, well, if I'm using my phone, then they're going to know that I looked up this thing or this thing or this thing. And uh, I also read that if you don't even have whatever app, it can still somehow get access to your data. So it just feels kind of helpless, I guess. Like, what do... Yeah. Well... <laughs> I get that. And I, I feel the same way. And I think it makes me sad that just as you said, Annie, we've like 
just accepted that this is how it is, right? That, of course, social media platforms are going to be making all my data available, whether or not I even use them or have them on my phone. Of course, they're going to be listening to my conversations and, you know, serving me up ads based on that. Of course, if I am interested in obtaining an abortion, they will share that information with the with law enforcement. Like, I think that we should be able to expect better. I think that we deserve better. We deserve to have better digital tools and digital platforms. We deserve to have our online experiences not just be marketplaces for harm and exploitations and scams. We deserve for them to be places where you can have meaningful discourse, get accurate information in a way that is safe and private. And the fact that we're just like, oh, well, nope. That we The, the baseline experience that we can expect is quite literally the opposite. I, I don't accept that. That's unacceptable to me. Oh, my God. You just completely put into my mind, I forgot about already, I cannot believe there's so many bad things in the world, but I forgot about the case in which Facebook allowed for information to be gathered on a young woman and her mom for getting access to abortion and actually being obtained by law enforcement to go after these people. It's like, if the, if you want to talk about, to me, what a security threat, that would be it. And that was from Facebook not too long ago. Exactly. So that, that's such a good point that like, there are specific and current harms that social, other social media platforms like Facebook are responsible for today, right? We know about that. We know about things like Cambridge Analytica, right? Like these are things, these are known things where it's like, yeah, we know that Facebook has admitted responsibility for literal genocide. These are things that we know. They're not hypotheticals. They're not potential risks or potential harms. They're things that, are, that have happened. And so for me, it's a little bit, rich for me to be having this like breathless conversation about the potential harms maybe down the line that TikTok could be responsible for potentially and then not having the conversation about the laundry list of documented admitted harms that Facebook has been responsible for already in reality. Like I don't understand how we got to this point where the hypothetical risk takes precedent over the actual documented and oftentimes admitted harm of platforms like Facebook. Right. And you were saying earlier, because it sounded like a whole movie. It feels like a spy movie, as you were saying, because you were talking about how Facebook has actually been kind of behind the scenes in doing a whole smear campaign on TikTok. Can you talk about that a bit more? Oh, yeah. So this, this whole conversation, the whole hearing, feels like a real win for Facebook. We already know that Facebook has paid lots of money to try to make people, and more importantly, lawmakers, dislike TikTok. Um, and we definitely saw the impacts of this on display at the hearings, right? So those deadly challenges that I was talking about, several of those challenges actually originated on Facebook, not TikTok. And the reason that lawmakers might be associating those with TikTok is because of this coordinated smear campaign orchestrated by Facebook. The New York Times found that Facebook paid Targeted Victory, which is one of the biggest Republican consulting firms in the country, to orchestrate a nationwide campaign seeking to turn the public against TikTok. This campaign included placing op-eds and letters to the editor in major regional news outlets, promoting dubious stories about alleged TikTok trends that actually originated on Facebook, and pushing to draw political reporters and local politicians into helping take down its biggest competitor. This is an email that the New York Times found 
targeted victory needs to, quote, get the message out that while Meta is the current punching bag, TikTok is the real threat, especially as a foreign-owned app that is number one in sharing data that young teens are using. Um, A director for Targeted Victory wrote in a February email. So I really don't like that Facebook is at least pulling some strings behind the scenes of this conversation about TikTok to kind of take the heat off of the massive wrongdoing and public harms that they have been responsible for. Like, the whole hearing, I'm sure that Mark Zuckerberg is like, oof, this is taking the heat off of me. I can keep, stay over here doing like evil while TikTok gets all the heat. (laughs) Yeah. That was my Mark Zuckerberg impression. It was very good. I liked it. It was good. It was was perfect. Yeah. It reminds me of um, when I was in college, I had an internship in China and I was working for this big company that will rename nameless, but they made me get a different laptop and they made me get a different phone because they were like, once you go through in China, they just take all your data. And I remember thinking, like, I'm an intern. You're not sending me any useful information or emails. Like, sure, I'll do it. But I'm like, I don't know what you think they're going to get from me. And I love how they kind of point out like, they're spying on the U's. Not that the U's aren't doing anything amazing, but it's sort of like, I think it's all about money. At least a part of it is just like, <laughs> <laughs> we want Meta to make money because it's in the US, sell the right. data all the time to them. But yeah. <laughs> TikTok, no. Oh my God. I saw this USA Today headline that was like, TikTok wants my data? Don't they know that's reserved for Google and Meta? Like, (laughs) it does seem very much like we want the West to be where social media platforms and data are are a marketplace. Like, like, I have to wonder if how how much of the conversation is exactly that, Annie. Yeah. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. And so I guess this brings us to 
Another big question. What would happen if TikTok was banned? Like if we play out this scenario, what would happen? So great question. Um, I had an interview with TikTok disinformation researcher Abby Richards this week, um, who wrote a great piece for Newsweek, which folks should read. In it, she writes, I understand the privacy concerns stemming from reporting that TikTok has been weaponized by the Chinese Communist Party to gather data from Americans. But banning TikTok is like applying a dirty used Band-Aid to the gaping wound that is our broken digital privacy status quo. It would do little to protect the data of Americans, but it would cause a whole host of new problems. To address this problem at its core, we must regulate the use of data. Why should Google, Meta, and Twitter get a free pass because they are not Chinese-owned? If we ban TikTok, the channels of communication that have been steadily established over the last half of this decade will cease to exist, leaving some of the most marginalized in our country suddenly in the dark. The U.S. is at a crossroads. We could dismantle a massive piece of communications infrastructure used by young people, LGBTQ plus people, and people of color, exacerbating existing inequalities in information access. Or alternatively, Congress could implement legislation that serves to protect the digital privacy and safety of all Americans on all platforms. And so the thing that Abby is really getting at here is that, that, that I hadn't really thought about until reading her piece and talking to her is that we're at a time where marginalized folks like trans communities, queer communities, communities of color, women are facing a lot of attacks. And so if you dismantle a platform where a lot of these communities have built up a voice and have built up a platform for themselves, um, you would be setting those communities in and their, you know, their, their work for equality and justice back quite a bit. And I hadn't really thought about that because I don't think I had fully thought through how big some of these spaces on TikTok are in terms of creating discourse. Like, I'll be straight up with you, when all that stuff was happening in Iran, I don't think I would have known what was going on with women and girls in Iran if not for TikTok. That was the first place that I saw it. That was where I saw, like, conversations about how folks in the United States could help amplify. That was how I got connected to have guests from Iran on my podcast. Like, if not for TikTok, I would not have been able to do any of that. And so... You know, the ways in which marginalized communities have been able to use this platform to create discourse and power for themselves really is pretty vast. And so if we ban it outright, that, according to Abby, that could have really drastic consequences for marginalized communities online. Oh, yeah, you say that. We literally just had a guest uh, who was Iranian, uh, Elika, who has a big following on TikTok. But yeah, I'm the same way. I would have not known about any of the things going on, even knowing more updated information, because I definitely don't see it on the news. It's very rare that I get to see uh, personal takes on how it's affecting individuals and families uh, that are imprisoned. So, But yeah, it is all because of TikTok, and I would have no clue uh, except because of that. And honestly, it's helped me connect even deeper into my Korean heritage, which I feel so lost about. Like, I, I can't, I'm not big on TikTok. I don't post things on TikTok. I follow a lot of different people. But some of the connections that I made without them knowing, my parasocial connections, really have brought me to a deeper understanding or trying to understand myself or like myself a little better in my ethnicity. And I know that's a whole other conversation, but it truly has made me feel a little more connected to a community I felt so uh, ostracized by through TikTok. And I cannot imagine, I'm sure there'll be other platforms. I'm not going to sit here and say this is going to be an end all if it goes away. But it does seem very targeted for something that I think has done a lot of good, I know for me, 
And for a lot of people, whether it is sending out my information to everybody in China, sure, you can have it. I'm sad and lonely. <laughs> um, but but in itself, but like it really does. There's this level of me being a marginalized person, in, being more marginalized in a community that's already marginalized, being adopted and being very isolated to that. I felt so much more connected through creators on TikTok that are willing to share their life so that I feel more uh, a part of that community. That makes me sad. Yeah, and I mean, I think that I think that you really said it. I, I think that all social media platforms have their ups and downs, but we can't discount those the experiences like the one that you just shared about the way that this particular app has enabled folks to really build community, explore their identities and who they are. And if we just blanket get rid of it, where will that conversation happen? I don't see it happening on Twitter. I don't necessarily see it happening on Facebook, right? Like, I, I, I'm with you. I think that marginalized people always are able to make a way out of no way and, like, build power and communities and feel seen online, even in places that are hostile to us. But it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. And I think we're in a weird social media landscape where I wonder, like, where would those kinds of conversations that you just described take place if we didn't have TikTok, you know? It, it, would, it would certainly take a long time to rebuild them at a time when a lot of these communities don't really have a ton of time because they're being attacked. Yeah, and I think those are those are great points to make because I, I know we talked about this in the most recent episode on what's going on with Twitter. Um, it's uh, a lot of people will tell me, well, I don't use it. I'm like, well, good for you. But it, it's like very, very meaningful for a lot of people. And there is especially if you're in any way marginalized or in a like small town, for instance, and you don't have a lot of people you can talk to, you go to these social media platforms and you find that and there's something very powerful about that. And these movements have happened on there. Information has happened on there that has shifted how people think, that has shifted movement. So it's like, I just encourage people always like, don't just say, oh, I don't use it. So it doesn't matter. It matters to some people. It matters to a lot of people. And it is powerful. That's such a good point. I, I've i only been on TikTok for a couple, like two years. In those two years, I have learned more useful information that I didn't know than my entire time on Facebook and Twitter. Absolutely, hands down. Like, like did you know you're supposed to be boiling your um, wooden spoons? Like, that's the way to clean them? <laughs> who knew? Like, they, things were like, oh, I never, who, who knew this? Like, so yeah. I, I... I don't want to sound super biased, but I do love TikTok. And I do, I have personally seen the ways that it can be re a really important place for discourse and information and communication and, and community. And I think that given all of that, having people who don't necessarily understand it, who've never necessarily used it, making a blanket ban of it, coming from a place of fear-mongering and, you know, in some cases, xenophobia is not the move. I am all for regulating social media. I am all for, you know, a meaningful, comprehensive legislation that protects the American public's privacy online. Yes, give it to me. We'll take it. Let's have that conversation. I don't see this as a conversation that will bear that fruit that I know that we need. I see this as posturing, scaremongering, fearmongering, making a boogeyman of one platform when what we need is something much more meaningful and much more comprehensive. Right. I completely agree. Like you, There's so much confusion because you do partially agree that things need to change on TikTok. 
But that partial agreement is an arcing to all of social media, like you said, that unless you say that you're doing this for all of social media and internet and all of that and our phone, then we're not going to believe that you're doing this for the well-being of a nation. You're doing this for your profit. Exactly. (laughs) Abby had a point. She said, data privacy, misinformation, hate speech, you got to care about it on all platforms, not just TikTok, not just the one that you can make a foreign boogeyman out of. Right. And I I would love to, I keep like pitching these ideas that we'll probably never do, but I would love to come back to talk about like also it's Interesting to me that they're talking about this when we've had so many high-profile instances lately of like our whole flight system falling apart here in the U.S. <laughs> because we haven't updated our technology in like no, fifty right. plus years. <laughs> this, is, this like genuinely scares me, right? right. That like there's so much infrastructure but also tech and digital infrastructure that we've just accepted is like, yeah, it's janky. Yeah, whoops. Basically can't use it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It'll do it. We're all just stuck <laughs> in the airport for a couple of days. Good luck. Yeah, like, and oh like, <laughs> yeah, and we just we deserve better. We deserve better. We do. We do. Oh, well, thank you so much as always, Bridget, for coming on, helping us to understand <laughs> this whole thing. <laughs> oh, the pleasure is all mine. And thanks for helping me. I feel like I was very ranty, but thank you for helping me understand it better too. I always feel like I get clarity from connecting with these issues uh, with you all. That's what I feel like that too. I feel like we, we have good conversations. Yes, it's good in these episodes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, where can the good listeners find you, Bridget? You can find me on my podcast, There Are No Girls on the Internet, on iHeartRadio. You can find me on Twitter at Bridget Marie, and you can find me on Instagram at Bridget Marie in DC. And you can find me on TikTok at Bridget Makes Podcasts. Hey. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> Easy enough. <laughs> it is. Like I said before on these, it's always so strange. It, I mean, it's important to be critical of the things that you use, right? But it's always so strange at the end to be like, and you can find me on. <laughs> Uh, exactly (laughs) yes well thanks again as always Bridget can't wait for next time in the meantime listeners if you would like to contact us you can our email is stephaniamomstuff at iheartmedia.com you can find us on twitter at momstuffpodcast or on instagram and tiktok at stuff I'll never told you thanks as always to our super producer Christina our executive producer Maya and our contributor Joey yes thank y'all and thanks to you for listening Stuff I Never Told You is production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. 
Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.